1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And of course, we also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Blue Goldwaters Technologies, Prophecy Platinum, Balmoral Resources, Golden Arrow Resources, and SGX Resources. We know this show is about, uh, has as a major focus economics and, and geopolitics because those are forces that have so much to do with macroeconomics and, and policies that really impact markets in a very real and sometimes dramatic fashion so I've always believed that understanding what is really going on as opposed to the propaganda that you're that that we are really all of us are being fed 24-7 by the major I think by the most amazing mind-shaping mechanism in the history of humankind that is the American media Uh, so what we're trying to do on this show is to find out what's really going on as opposed to the propaganda that you're constantly being fed 24-7 by the American propaganda machine Sometimes uh, that may bring us uh, to guests that are somewhat uncomfortable for some of us to listen to because they go so much against what we are being uh, told is the truth by the by the uh, by the mainstream, and I think the uh, by the brainwashers, if you will, of our uh, of our system, um, but. You know, seeking truth has really served us quite well. I think it served me and my listeners and my subscribers quite well. It has really enabled us to own gold prior to the Lehman Brothers decline. Um, so I have a very strong bias uh, towards continuing to hammer away at uh, what I believe our establishment lies and, and half truths. Uh, that is a big part of what this show is all about, for sure. At the same time, though, we do need to earn a living. That is quite obvious. That uh, You know, it's nice and dandy to to talk about philosophy and what government should be and this and that. Uh, And to expose what's really going on is very, very important, Uh, not necessarily to be able to change it, but at least in our own small way to invest accordingly so that we can reduce the the downside risks and enhance our chance of survival uh, and even thriving. That's, of course, the goal of it and the reason for it. But, you know, sometimes just I'm asking actually for your help. Uh, In answering a question, do you think that this show is too much loaded towards uh, these geopolitical and philosophical discussions, macroeconomics and so forth? Should I focus more on concrete investment ideas and less on geopolitics and macroeconomics? I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. I'd like to hear what you have to think about that. I do try. It's my goal to have it sort of balanced 50-50, but maybe sometimes my passion takes me more towards, uh, the, uh, geopolitics, macroeconomics, uh, philosophical issues than, uh, towards the, uh, towards addressing the here and now, uh, those matters. So I'd like to hear what you have to say and you can send me an email to questionsforTaylor@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Well, let's get into today's show. Uh, you know, I, I do believe that the use of fiat money uh, that because of it, we are heading into some really big trouble financially, that our markets are in big trouble. So I try to provide some investing ideas about how you might be able to preserve your wealth against the systematic theft that is being forced on you through the barrel of a gun. And I say being forced on you because you have no choice but to use the fiat money, the monopoly money that is uh, that your government tells you you have to use. Uh, what you can do, of course, is to exchange that fiat money for tangible goods or for shares of stock Uh, that represent ownership in tangible goods like mining companies and so forth. In just a few minutes after our first break, I will be talking to Greg Johnson, who is the president and CEO of a company that I think possesses the number one platinum group base metals project in the world at this time, a very large-scale project uh, not only is this project in a politically safe jurisdiction in canada 's Yukon, uh, but Greg will tell you its grades and dimensions uh, plus the infrastructure uh, things that it, uh, positive infrastructure that it has there uh, really makes this a very very uh, very very good prospect. Um, the company I'm talking about, of course, is Prophecy Platinum. They are a sponsor of this show. I have bought them for my own account, my retirement account, and they are a recommendation in my newsletter as well. And the project is a well-green project in the Yukon. So Greg will be here at about... Uh, That time to talk about, uh, just in a few minutes to talk about the Wellgreen. Then at about 3.30, another Johnson will be with us. But this Johnson is named Elijah Johnson. He is a young man that I met. uh, I met him up uh, uh, at the Liberty Mastermind Symposium earlier this year in Dallas. Elijah will actually replace me as a host when he interviews a fascinating guest named Ann Bernhardt, who will help explain why I think you need to get your money out of fiat as quickly as possible as much of it as possible, and into solid, tangible assets. Criminals, like former Goldman Sachs executive and former New Jersey uh, governor John Corzine, are, in fact, the foxes that are guarding your bank account. And just as Corzine of, IMF, uh, of MF Global gambled away clients' money that he ethically had no right to touch. There are more foxes out there that are guarding uh, your bank account. And indeed, just yesterday, I was alerted to the fact that Banca Monte Paschi of, I- of Italy, uh, the bondholders there, were told that they had to give some of their money back to the bank in order to keep the bank solvent. That was the European authorities. So here we have the bail-in. Another example, just as in Cyprus, not just as in, but similar to Cyprus. And, and uh, you have to realize that the Bank of England and the FDIC have, in fact, published a white paper in which they are preparing to take a portion of your savings and my savings out of your bank account and my bank account uh, to protect the likes of the John Corzines. These banks go out and gamble with your money and we reap huge profits, and when they lose, then they want you to bail them out. Well, it's totally unjust. There's no question about it. The people, I believe, uh, that commit these kinds of, uh, these kinds of crimes should pay for them, uh, but the guys with the guns and the money, which have been created out of thin air, of course, have the ability, uh, to bail these crooks out. And, uh, and they also have the ability to wage war. I think that's a big part of what our, uh, what our system is all about, why we're in perpetual wars. About 4.30, Daniel McAdams will be with us to talk about the latest propaganda. Uh, that's going on there uh in that front to keep us uh, in warring uh, mode all throughout the world in Syria and Iran and what have you then and uh, to talk more directly about the phoniness of our markets and why the world tapering uh, the the, uh, the word tapering has been conjured up just uh, as one more word um, Conward actually ranting Andy Hoffman will join me at about 4 o'clock to talk about why you should ignore all notions that Mr. Bernanke is in control of our monetary system. I think all of these are very important messages so I hope you'll uh, stick around. We do have to go now to our first uh, break and when we come back I'll be uh, talking to Greg Johnson, the President and CEO of Platinum Group Metals. Don't go away, I'll be right back.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
3: In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things
0: never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at BalmoralResources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol B-A-L-M-F and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol B-A-R.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor and I'm very happy to have with me once again Greg Johnson. He's the President and CEO of Prophecy Plot, and he joined that company back in November of last year. Greg has over 25 years of experience in the exploration and development of large-scale projects in the mining industry. Uh and he's been involved in raising over $650 million in project financing during those years. He was President and CEO of South American Silver during a period in which the company's market cap increased from 20 million to a peak of 350 million and as a co- founder and executive at Novo Gold Resources. He was a key member of that executive team that led Nova Gold from a $50 million market cap to more than $2 billion. He oversaw the expansion of its resource base to over 30 million ounces of gold. He began, uh, Greg began his career with Placer Dome. Uh, he held various senior roles in domestic and international exploration and projects from early discovery stage to feasibility and operations in Alaska, Canada, Africa, Australia, and Russia. So Greg, uh, and he's Of course, he is a geologist. He has a degree and an honors degree in geology from Western Washington University. Welcome, Greg. It's good to have you back. Well, it's nice to be back. (laughs) You know, I should mention to our listeners, uh, Prophecy Platinum trades in Toronto under the symbol NKL. Uh, You can buy it down in the States, as I have, under the symbol PNIKF, recently trading at around 64 cents, uh, 76.6 million shares, gives it a market cap of just a little under uh, $50 million. So the stock is selling, uh, really, um, what I think is a very low price, which is one of the reasons I picked it up at or for my own personal account at or around these levels, uh, Greg. You know a PEA that you uh, that was um, I guess it was undertaken before you joined the company showed the company to have a discounted present value of just under around a billion dollars. Uh, how do you account for the fact that the market is pricing your company, and you do have another project too? We might mention although the Wellgreen project is is the uh, uh, is the main project, how do you account for the fact that the market is pricing you at such a low level compared to its PEA?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. I think, uh, Jay, you know, people looking at the sector often wonder, you know, why the difference in values for, for different companies, and uh, I guess the way I tend to look at it is that um, typically what you will see is that the producers, so that ultimate value of that asset once it's up and producing cash flow, you know, trade at the highest multiples and premiums, uh, often a multiple to their net asset value. Um you'll see that the advanced development stage, so the companies that are at the feasibility stage, they're ready to, to permit and ready to start construction. Uh, we'll trade in a subst- substantial discount to what they would be in production, reflecting the fact they still have to permit and construct and raise the capital to build their mines, um, but uh, reflecting a discount to that ultimate valuation. And then when you look at the earlier stage still, and like in our case, we're at the first engineering stage, uh, you see an additional discount. And I really see that as, as kind of the sweet spot, the opportunity for investors when they can identify high quality resources. So these are projects that are advanced enough that they have a resource on the ground and a first engineering stage and they start to get a sense of the potential future value when they're up producing cash flow, um, and to be able to invest alongside of, of strong technical teams and, and see that re-rating. For instance, uh, right now in the platinum space, the average producer is trading at about $130 per ounce of platinum equivalent in the ground. Mm-hmm. a feasibility average right now is around thirty dollars an ounce so it's a it's a big drop between mm-hmm. production and feasibility mm-hmm. and then early stage companies like our own are trading at three dollars an ounce on the ground which is you know really amazing right um, and you know when you look at success stories like nova gold like detour Lake um, you know for a polymetallic you know Ivanhoe mines would be an example mm-hmm. you know often there can be 5x 10x 15x gains from those early stages to successful feasibility and, and ultimately bringing these things to production. Uh, and that's, that's that's the opportunity. And, key, of course, the key is the right kind of team with the right kind of experience, the ability to raise capital and to advance the project, de-risk it value uh, you know over time, reflecting that de-risking and, and that greater and greater certainty of achieving cash flow.
2: Of course, part of the de-risking process uh, is, as you mentioned, raising capital. And, um, <clears throat> you know, with a company like yours with uh, 60 or 76, 77 million shares outstanding, you're probably going to raise some more capital. You're probably going to issue some more shares. So that's no... doubt part of the reason you're priced where you are but to give our listeners some sense of what you have in the ground there greg perhaps you could just uh tell tell us again how many ounces of what do you have it's it's you know it's a multi uh metal project so but but give us a sense of and i think you like to group the platinum group metals plus gold together and then the base metals together but if you give us some idea so people can start to think in terms of what that upside potential might be if you're able to take it into or towards production uh you know 130 dollars per ounce in the ground for producers, um, what might be the ultimate market cap of a company if you successfully uh, put the Wellgreen into production? Yeah,
4: so, so right now, uh, based on this uh, first engineering stage, uh, our studies would indicate that we have at least 7 million ounces of platinum, palladium, and gold in the ground, and that comes along with about 2 billion pounds of nickel and 2 billion pounds of copper. So on a kind of contribution to the value, the greatest value is in those platinum group metals Followed by nickel and then followed by copper and a bit of cobalt. So it is a polymetallic project. That will mean that our operating cost per ounce of platinum produced is going to be quite low uh, because of those uh, co-product you know, values. Um, you know, that's, you know, that study was based on the resource as it was last year. Uh, we are um, drilling currently. On the project, Uh, we expect that the system remains open uh, pretty much in in almost every direction. And, you know, we will see, you know, continued growth, I think, in tonnage of the uh, deposit over time. And I think the ultimate scale of this deposit is going to be something that will, you know, clearly be world-class. You know, anything in the... Platinum deposits are much more rare than gold. You know, if you have a 5 million ounce gold deposit, that's world class. You know, there have only been about 100 deposits in the history of the world at that size. So 7 million ounces in platinum metal is is already a giant, and we think it has room probably to continue to
2: grow. Well, indeed, you uh, recently put out a press release. Uh, and what really caught my eye, Greg, was this uh, the headline of this press release, 352.7 meters of 2.62 grams per ton platinum equivalent. And this was in a new section I think it was uh, the eastern extension where those uh, where your current resource uh, is established. So I would imagine that uh, that this resource is going to grow and, and possibly very significantly.
4: Yeah, that's uh, we're really quite excited about that um, that eastern end of the deposit, uh, that new zone that was uh, in the headline, very wide interval of significant mineralization. You know what really makes this deposit. Stand out from other platinum deposits is just the sheer scale. Uh, you know, we, the zone itself averages anywhere from 100 to 300 meters in width, uh, which is, you know, very substantial, uh, definitely amenable to bulk mining, uh, such as a, an open pit. Uh, and we have some zones that are, you know, more than 500 meters wide. In fact, in our, our most recent drill hole that we've just completed, uh, we're still waiting on assays, but that drill hole intercepted 800 meters My of goodness. the ultramafic host rock. Uh, so we're quite excited to see, you know, the results to come out of that, and that's the widest uh, geologic uh, intersection we've had on the deposit of the rocks that host our
2: Right, so we're looking at something that could be substantially larger, I would think, but also, Greg, you know, the last time we spoke, we talked about a couple of the issues that I've heard raised by people who are somewhat skeptical about the project. Uh, the first one was the metallurgical issues, and, and you pointed out there really aren't any metallurgical issues, issues, because this project had, in fact, been in production before, and platinum group metals had been... Uh, one from this deposit, a, a concentrate was formed and sent over, I think, to Japan to a smelter. So, in fact, uh, this this project has already made money in the past. Uh, but is there are there any new developments on the metallurgical front uh, since we last spoke? Yeah, so definitely,
4: you know, as you point out, you know, historically, this the, the higher grade zones have produced from this deposit, and they produce concentrates that were were sold to Sumitomo in Japan. So it's demonstrated that it creates you know a viable uh, sulfide concentrate that that uh, you know is quite valuable. Our work and the work over the last couple of years has focused on this bulk mineable deposit. So looking at these disseminated zones of mineralization, not just the very, very high grade. And that initial metallurgy has indicated that that material also processes using conventional methods of processing where you form a concentrate. And our test work is designed to look at various ways that are used at, at different operating uh, platinum mines around the world to I- improve the overall quality and economic value of those concentrates. And our our initial test work is, is indicating that, in fact, just like the high-grade material that was historically mined, that this disseminated mineralization does form uh, an attractive concentrate that has good concentrations of PGMs and nickel and copper, and that uh, we've got a product that should be of high interest to those smelters uh, to buy. And one of the reasons that's important is that you know these big industrial smelting groups in Asia and in other locations are often an important source of capital to build these projects. And so. so. So, there may be an opportunity for us here to to partner with some of those groups. They want a long term source of metals for their smelter and of course we need capital to build a project and make this into a cash flow uh, producing uh, company so I think uh, the developments we're seeing on the metallurgy are are quite promising showing that we are optimizing uh, recovery numbers even better than the initial economic assessment that was completed last year and we anticipate that we'll be able to improve on those
2: and uh, you touched on on the other issue that is raised and always raised for large capex projects like this and that is you know the ability to raise the capital as you're suggesting, Possibly a smelter might be interested, and you have so many different kinds of metals, and to have a steady supply, uh, a supply from a, a stable country, a stable uh, politically stable environment, I suppose, should be worth something to companies too that are looking for mill feed. But um, also, you know, you you I think the last time we talked, you were suggesting the possibility of perhaps doing something uh, more efficient than the PEA suggested by perhaps high grading, finding some high grade near surface uh, open pit targets that you could use early in the project that would cut down the size of your operation, enhance the capex, and and provide very good operating um, margins as well. Is uh, anything new along those lines?
4: Yeah, that still remains the focus for this next study. The original uh, economic assessment looked at just a large open pit mine at a relatively um, large throughput, about 30,000 tons of material per day, which is a pretty big precious metals mine. Uh, This year's study is looking at getting started with something smaller. Something in the 10,000 to 12,000 ton per day, and we think that that's going to reduce the capital demands in terms of the you know money needed to build the project substantially. Targeting something in the kind of 300 to 400 million dollar range, you know that still sounds like a big number, but relative to billion dollar projects that are out there, it's the Kind of project that a lot of uh, financiers are, are looking for, uh, and because our project does have these higher grade zones within it, we think there's the opportunity to run that smaller operation, uh, less capital intensive to start with, at higher grades, and therefore make it a very attractive rate of return and cash flow producing project. That ultimately you would expand over time uh, and build it up to its ultimate uh, capacity as a, as a large precious metals.
2: Greg, we're just about out of time, but uh, is uh, is there anything else that our listeners should be aware of? I- I guess what I'd like to ask you is, what are the drivers? What should, the, what should investors be looking for uh, now going forward for the rest of this year and into next?
4: Yeah, so our expiration program is underway, uh, so uh, investors are going to be seeing news flow uh, coming out of the results over over coming months. Our metallurgical test work is also uh, underway, and so we'll begin to see some of the reports coming out of those that I would anticipate that we'll be publishing. Uh, all of this is driving towards an updated resource and uh, economic assessment in the first half of next year. Um, and so I, I think that uh, in terms of news flow, uh, I think that it's going to be a fairly steady series of news uh Releases from the company, which is always uh, encouraging. Uh, there aren't many companies that are actively exploring this year, in light of the you know consolidation we've seen over the last couple of years in the sector. So, uh, you know, two things really kind of make us stand out: one, the fact that we're platinum, and there's just a real uh, rarity uh, to companies uh, involved in platinum outside of Southern Africa or Russia; and secondly, that we're actively exploring, and we're going to have meaningful news coming out. And And uh, I think that uh, as we can build on the success of of previous studies and continue to demonstrate the scale of the system, that this uh, should be the kind of thing that gets attention from investors and analysts uh, and institutional investors.
2: Greg, uh, before I let you go, how much money do you have in the till? Are you going to need to raise any anytime soon?
4: Yeah, we're, so we raised um, almost six million dollars in summer. Um, we've got about four million dollars right now in the treasury. Our program is about a two million dollar program. So, end of the year, we should end up with around a couple of million dollars more than enough to continue to to run the company. Um, we are looking at the opportunity to potentially expand our exploration program, uh, this fall and continue to, to drill perhaps even underground. Uh, and so, uh, we may look to put in a modest amount of additional, uh, funding, uh, that we're in discussions with a couple of investors on. But otherwise, uh, you know, we'd be looking at probably sometime next year to raise additional monies to take the project to the pre-feasibility level and then probably in 2015 looking at raising, uh, a modest amount of additional capital to take it to feasibility and hopefully a construction
2: decision okay well that's uh, that lays out the uh, the map uh, for the future certainly a very exciting project one that I own I should tell my listeners I own it personally it's a recommendation in my newsletter and uh, and platinum uh, prophecy platinum is a sponsor to this radio show as well um, I, and you know to keep up with what uh, Greg is doing what the company is doing you should really go to their website which is uh, prophecyplatinum.com, I believe right Greg that's correct. excellent well thank you very much for being with us again I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the not too Future folks don't go away i'm going to come come right back with elijah johnson Uh, he'll be interviewing ann bernhardt uh, about financial problems and corruption in the commodity markets that illustrates i think why you need to own the kind of physical metals that greg johnson's prophecy platinum expects to produce in the future so don't go away we'll be right back with greg johnson
1: SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along Strike, with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor.
5: Hey, everyone. This is Elijah Johnson with FinanceAndLiberty.com. You are listening to a Finance and Liberty interview, and our guest today is Anne Barnhart from the former Barnhart Capital Management. Thank you so much for joining us, Anne.
6: Oh, thanks, Elijah. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the opportunity to visit with you. I appreciate it.
5: Well, we really appreciate it, too. And um, since we haven't had you on before... Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and I guess first, can you tell us a little bit about your Barnhart Capital Management and why you shut it down? I know in a video you made, you said, It doesn't matter how honest your brokers, wealth managers, or local bankers are. The problem is systemic, and it will touch every person on earth. And I know you shut down your brokerage. Because even though your clients knew that you were honest, the problem was you weren't the one who could protect their money. Can you expand on that?
6: Absolutely. Hart Capital Management What was, was what was called an independent introducing brokerage, which means that I wasn't actually the custodian of my customers' funds. And understand who my customer base was. My customers were farmers and ranchers. I was a true commercial hedge broker. I was doing livestock and grain risk management with farmers and ranchers, meaning that my clients actually owned and possessed the physical commodity. They actually owned and possessed the physical cattle and the physical grain, and they were using the futures and options market in order to lay off risk and and literally forward contract their um, cattle and grain production and needs. And so I, as an independent introducing broker all I was doing was I was introducing them to an FCM. An FCM stands for Futures Commissions, Futures Commission Merchant. That's the big; those are the big clearinghouses in Chicago and New York. Of course, all of my business, being agricultural, was in Chicago, and so I wasn't actually the custodian, the legal custodian of my customers' money, I was just introducing them to whoever I was clearing through. And at the time of my shutdown, I was clearing through Penson, P-E-N-S-O-N, and as a lot of your listeners might know, Penson failed in um, mid two thousand let me, let me get my year straight mid two thousand and twelve um, the guy who was running Penson had had evidently made some absolutely ludicrous $45 million bet on some horse track out in the middle of Texas. And as soon as I got wind of this and started watching the bond yields on the company, I knew that it was just a matter of time before Penson went under. But that's not actually what precipitated my the, the closing of my commodities firm. Of course, the closing of my brokerage was precipitated by MF Global and John Corzine stealing, just outright stealing, $1.6 Billion with a B, billion dollars in segregated customer funds. It was an unprecedented event, completely unprecedented. And it wasn't just the fact that John Corzine stole the $1.6 billion in segregated customer funds. The thing that truly led me to shut down my brokerage two weeks later was the fact that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, whose entire function and purpose it is... Is to stand in the middle of all futures and options transactions and be the de facto counterparty and the guarantor so that client A doesn't need to worry about the creditworthiness of client B on the other side. So what that means and what this has meant all throughout the history of of the mercantile exchange and the border trade in Chicago is that whenever a a, a firm has failed and gone under, and it's happened many, many times before, the exchange has always stepped in and guaranteed all of the contracts, guaranteed everything that was going on, and in fact, even bought out, in, in, in essence, the failed commodities firms. And then, you know, turned around and taken responsibility for reparsing out those assets, selling them, basically, as it were. Now, the day that MF Global failed, in total, the company was worth a little bit over $6 billion, with a B, $6 billion. The stolen customer funds were about, we now know, $1.6 billion, with a B. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange and Terry Duffy, who is who is the CEO of the of the Merck, he was sitting on an emergency slush fund of over eight billion dollars. Okay, so the Merck on the day that MF Global failed could have completely bought out the company, guaranteed and backstopped everyone and everything without even breaking a sweat, and still had about $2 billion left over in its emergency slush fund. The fact that Terry Duffy and the Mercantile Exchange elected not only to not do that, but to lock those customers out of their accounts for in excess of the week for an excess of a week, not even allowing them to liquidate their positions. This is just completely unfathomable, Elijah. And even though I wasn't clearing through MF global, I saw the writing on the wall and what instantly became obvious to me and then and then connecting that to the fact that I knew what was going on with my clearing firm, which was Penson, and how they were kind of on the ropes financially anyway. What I took from the MF global collapse was was that Terry Duffy and the rest of the mercantile exchange elected not to, do, not to execute their fiduciary duty as the clearing firm elected not to step in and backstop MF Global and the answer and the question is why why didn't they do it the answer is because they knew that all of the other futures commission's merchants were doing exactly the same thing as what John Corzine was doing perhaps not as heavily leveraged because remember John Corzine is a complete psychopath the man is just, He he has absolutely no internal conscience or any sense of risk control at all. So, yeah, he had MF Global leverage to an absolutely unfathomable level. But the fact of the matter is, Elijah, is that Terry Duffy knew that all of the other FCMs were doing exactly the same thing that John Corzine was doing, which is to say that they were taking customer money – customer segregated funds, and because we are in a zero interest rate environment and they cannot make any money off of buying UST bills, that they have to take that money and leverage it into these uber risky investments. And what Corzine was doing was he was using the customer money to invest in high-risk European sovereign debt paper through repos and credit default swaps, but let, let's be honest, the rest of the FCMs are doing exactly the same thing, although perhaps not not to the the leverage ratio that Corzine was doing doing it. so why I shut down my firm is because as soon as I figured this out and realized that the Merck would never do anything to backstop any other any other failed FCM. I knew that I couldn't backstop my customers' accounts. At the peak of my business, and and please understand what I was. I was just a one-man introducing brokerage, handling livestock and grain commercial hedge clients. At the peak of my business, I was about a $3.5 million office. I didn't have $3.5 million on hand to backstop my clients. And so, therefore it became morally incumbent upon me to notify every single one of them that, look, this is no longer tenable. I cannot guarantee the safety of your funds. It's over. We need to get out of this. I'm shutting down, and you need to get out of the markets too. So that's the five-minute version of the backstory.
5: I know that you've said if wealth is just on a computer screen, it can be confiscated instantly, and I know that's what we saw. You mentioned MF Global, but that's also what we saw in Cyprus. What's your take on that?
6: Well, exactly. Cyprus is just the next step after MF Global. MF Global was a was a private uh, a private business entity, and so I, I truly believe that MF Global was the um, the test case. I think that they did MF Global and Corzine in collusion with the Obama regime because he's he's up to his eyeballs in the Obama regime. Corzine was widely understood to be Timmy Geithner's replacement as Treasury Secretary if the MF Global thing hadn't happened. In fact, they even had this written into the MF Global bonds that if if Corzine was named Treasury Secretary that I believe there was a 100 basis point increase in the payout on the MF global bonds if that happened. So understand, Corzine was one of Obama's top boys, and there's all kinds of videos of Joe Biden on YouTube saying, hey, if I ever have a question about the financial markets, literally the first call I make is to John Corzine. Well, of course it is, Joe Biden, because you're a slack jawed drooling imbecile. Of course you would call John Corzine, who is a psychopath and who is also, let's be honest, A slack jawed imbecile. The only reason that John Corzine was elevated up to the top of Goldman Sachs and then, uh, you know, hired onto MF Global is is because the man is a psychopath. These people are specifically recruiting psychopaths. So back to your original question, yes, MF Global was the test run. It was the test run to see, all right, what will happen. If we steal, if we just flat out steal $1.6 billion in customer money and not just not just quote unquote customers, let's steal it from a bunch of farmers and ranchers and let's just see what happens. And we all saw what the result is. Nothing, Basically nothing. These people, I mean, you know, the men in this culture, and I've said this forever and ever, have been completely castrated and will just roll over. They've just given up. So someone can come along and someone can just completely financially rape you and you'll just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about this. And what a lot of people don't understand is they see these these stories about the MF Global Settlement and how, well, they're back, they're up now to 89% payout recovery on the MF Global accounts. What your listeners and what everybody needs to understand is that almost all of the farmers and ranchers were so hamstrung by the confiscation of their operating capital, which was sitting in their in their hedge accounts, that most of those people Sold out to what I refer to as um, recovery sharks, uh, meaning people who came along and said, hey, I will buy out your claim on your MF Global account right now and I'll pay you 40 cents on the dollar for it. A lot of my farmer and rancher people were so hamstrung in terms of cash flow by having their commodity account completely stolen that in order to stay in business, they had no choice but to sell out their claims to these recovery sharks for, you know, tops, 40 cents on the dollar. So when you read these stories saying that, hey, the MF Global payout is all the way back up to 89 cents on the dollar, understand that the most vulnerable people, the farmers and ranchers, almost none of them are left. Almost none of them are left holding an MF Global claim because they had to sell out early on to keep from going bankrupt. That's an incredibly important point that i think is lost on a lot of people
5: i know that um you've said before that nobody really understands the current state of our economy right now how dire the situation is and you're talking about the cyber situation the mf global situation should people be worried about their money and if there was one thing you had to tell them to do with their money right now how can they keep their money safe
6: Oh no, question at all. And and back to your question about Cyprus. Cyprus is just MF Global, but on a national sovereign level, it is absolutely guaranteed to be coming to the United States first. It will get into the rest of Europe, and I've heard um, you know through the grapevine that you know Eastern Europe, you know Slovakia, that kind that kind of thing. That's who's next in terms of having the cyprus maneuver done on them all bank accounts are now fair game people in in the eu are now openly saying that bank confiscations will be required and will be executed in order to bail out the european banking system which is an unsalvageable disaster it is mathematically unsalvageable and where this business of confiscation will first hit the united states is absolutely in terms of retirement accounts and then it will eventually get into bank accounts and i've been talking about this for a good long time um, Carl Denninger has been talking about this for a long time, and Warren Pollack has been talking about this for a long time, that if you just simply sit down and look at the mathematics of the banking situation, of the global financial system and the financial system in the United States, you come to no other conclusion than the necessity for bank holidays and the sweeping of demand deposit accounts. And again this is a point that I've made many many times but you know if I can if I can touch one one more person with this explanation I'll do it. And that is well and that's I don't have to worry about that because my bank is FDIC insured. Okay. Stop and think about this. If the entire banking system collapses, even if just a quarter of the banking system collapses, remember the banking system in the United States is, you know, it it oscillates between Eight, let's call it $8 and $10 trillion in demand deposits, okay? If a quarter of that fails, which it very easily could, because the top tier, you know, the top five or six banks in the United States in terms of demand deposits are carrying in excess of $100 trillion in derivatives exposure. If the top five or six banks in the U.S. fail, how in the world is the FDIC going to pay out on that? You've got a banking system with let's call it around ten trillion in demand deposits, and the last number I saw for the FDIC, and it might be a little bit higher than the last one I saw, but the last number I saw for the FDIC was that they had eleven billion. Okay, so the the demand deposits are ten trillion with a T. The FDIC only has a pool of 11 billion with a B. Okay, this this makes no sense. You're, You're not going to get anything. It's going to be just like Cyprus. It's going to be exactly like Cyprus, and they're going to say, okay, you're going to get X percent of your demand deposit account, A, frozen, then swept. And if you don't like it, that's just tough. And I would also throw in that we've just seen within the last week, what is Argentina doing? And and ladies and gentlemen, keep a close, close eye on Argentina, because Argentina is basically the forerunner of everything that is happening. It's almost like the global Marxist regime is looking at Argentina as the template for the series of events that can be carried out what has argentina declared just within the last week either you buy argentinian bonds or we will come after you and we will put you in prison I mean, that's that's where all of this is eventually leading. There's also this business of forcing people to convert bank deposits into bonds going out in other locales in Europe as well. And eventually, it will come to the United States because as bad as all of these European and South American sovereign nations are, let's not kid ourselves, mathematically speaking, the worst country is the United States. What's the difference? Here's the analogy I make. The United States, because it is by far the largest economy on the planet, is like a 747 cruising along at 42,000 feet at 600 miles an hour. If all four of the engines simultaneously cut out, the glide ratio on that 747 is a tremendous distance so it's going to be able to glide for a long way but if it doesn't make it to an airport it is going to crash and burn and everybody is going to die Whereas these smaller countries in Europe, take a Cyprus, for example. Well, goodness, a Cyprus, if we're going to make an airplane analogy, is just like a little bitty uh, Piper flying around, you know. If all the engines cut, you could conceivably land a Piper in a cornfield somewhere. You can't land a, 40, a 747 in a cornfield somewhere. Either you make it to the airport you take drastic evasive measures, and you have an awesome, total stud pilot who can get you into an airport and land the thing, or everyone's going to die. And the question I would ask you now is, do you honestly believe that right now we have an uber-competent, totally awesome pilot behind the the wheel of the plane who, A, acknowledges that all four of the engines are out, and B is actually trying to steer us towards a runway that we can land on. The answer to both of those questions is no. We have the equivalent of a mentally defective... um, baboon behind the wheel of the plane. And and by that I mean national level United States governance, not only in the executive branch but also in the Congress. These people are not only all universally psychopaths, that they are all universally slack jawed mouth breathing imbeciles. If you have any confidence whatsoever that these people can Proverbially land this 747, you are out of your mind. So what do you do to defend yourself against this? Withdraw from the system, get as much of your money out of the financial system as you possibly can, hold some of it in cash because the U.S. dollar will persist as being a unit of value for some period of time, but even though I am not a metals bug by any means, when you are in an emergency situation and you are looking at sovereign collapses, yes, metals absolutely are the place to be. Gold and silver diversified.
5: All right, and I wanted to move now to this topic of um, you know the U.S. collapsing, as you're saying. And you've said that nothing can stop the economy from collapsing. Quote, when the U.S. rates uptick, the last vestiges of the now dead republic will implode. So, do you see when this imploding of the United States economy happens? It'll. You're saying it'll just take down the whole financial system of the world. Are you saying?
6: Absolutely yes. Um, you know, we've Obama is running up trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars in new debt. Um, the most conservative figure is something like 1.2 trillion in new debt per year. The truth is is it's more than that because that figure actually isn't counting the new get new debt being incurred by social security and medicare. So now, understand, okay, Obama since 2009, and then, and then George W. Bush before him was running up large amounts of debt, but Obama has just taken it to this completely mathematically untenable, basically clowned and Piven strategy level, wherein the Obama regime is actively trying to mathematically collapse the United States, and I firmly believe that they've done it. They've reached critical mass. It can't be walked back now. But understand, let, let's just call it from the beginning of the Obama regime in 2009. Okay, fine. He's running up a trillion dollars in new debt per year, and that debt is being issued you know, in Treasury paper via money, U.S. dollars being just arbitrarily printed out of thin air by the Federal Reserve, and that Treasury paper is being issued at what is basically 0%. 90 day T-bill rates just a few years ago were hovering around 5%. They've now been at 0 since the beginning of the Obama regime. So you're issuing a trillion dollars a year at minimum in new debt and you're doing it at 0%. Okay, what happens when you take that debt that you have issued and you uptick the interest rates just a little bit and just to, let's say Let's say that, uh, that uh, Treasury paper rates uptick to 3%, which historically is extremely low in a, in an historical context. I mean, 5% was even considered to be historically very low for Treasury paper. If you just go from 0% to 3% interest on this debt, you, you add so much of a debt burden to to the budget of the United States per year, then it will eat up everything else and will completely collapse the system. But again, reiterating, this was all done intentionally. It's called the Cloward and Piven strategy. Cloward and Francis Fox Piven were professors at Columbia University during the 60s and 70s and perhaps into the 80s. And they taught... This cadre of these neo-Stalinists, of whom the front man, of whom the puppet is this guy who is purportedly named Barack Obama, they taught them that the only way that you can destroy the quote-unquote evil United States and establish a global totalitarian regime is that you have to collapse the United States from the inside out primarily primarily economically and the way you do that is by overloading the federal government with all of these entitlements and all of this debt and then collapse the entire thing from the inside out you can't attack it from the outside because the United States was formerly too strong to be attacked militarily from the outside. The way to bring the United States down, and make no mistake, that is the objective of these people. They are traitors. They are seditionists. They are revolutionaries. They are looking to collapse the entire system and have already mathematically accomplished it, is do it from the inside by mathematically overloading um, the debt load And that will destroy the US dollar, which will then allow a new, probably global currency backed by the Russians, the Chinese, perhaps the BRIC nations, which would be what, Brazil, Russia, India, China, BRIC. to get them to establish a new currency with perhaps some involvement with, with the Middle East as well. And if you destroy the U.S. dollar, you basically destroy the United States.
5: So before we let you go, can you just lay out for our viewers where you see this all going? I mean, what is the end game of all this?
6: I wish I could end on a better note with you, Elijah, but it's not good at all. I see a total systemic collapse of the United States, I see a total systemic collapse of the U.S. dollar and the financial system, which is why I urge everybody to get out, get out, get out. And if you don't understand what get out means, then there's nothing I can do to help you. I can't tell you how many emails I get per day from people saying, well, I heard you on your interview and I read everything you write But when you say get out, what exactly do you mean? You don't mean my Fidelity IRA, do you? Okay, if if you're so obtuse and you are so thick-headed that you cannot understand what get out means, I can't help you. And there are people who email me and say things like, well, I can't get out of my 401K because then I have to pay X number of dollars on in terms of tax liability, and then, well, I can't do that. I'm not going to pay taxes. I'm just going to sit in, and hold on to it. Okay, you're going to go and all of it stolen. What would you rather do? Would you rather pay your tax bracket in taxes or have a hundred percent of it stolen? And what I would even say beyond that is, wh- what is the matter with you? Why are we? Why are you even still paying taxes at this point? paying taxes is like paying taxes into the Third Reich really you're a German in 1941 and you have a conscience and you have a brain in your head why are you paying taxes to Hitler that's exactly what's going on here A a mass federal tax strike would go a long way to correcting all of this. But, of course, people are so chicken and so terrified of the IRS. Oh, no, we can't do that. And, of course, Elijah, what what are the headlines of the last week? The IRS has been coming after people and maliciously auditing people based upon their politics anyway. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? How are you going to fix this? How are you going to correct this political system if you refuse to do anything on the offensive tactical side? If all you're willing to do is cower and hide and play prevent defense, how are you going to fix any of this? You have to go on offense. You have to fix your bayonet, and you have to charge. You have to be proactive. Do what I did. Declare a federal tax strike. If enough people do that, you know, maybe the government would uh, get, get the message if tens of millions of Americans just didn't file. You, you Really, IRS? You want to come audit all of us? You bring it. We're not paying for this anymore. You're paying for a cult of child sacrifice. You are paying for a cult of the ratification of sodomy, and you are paying to arm Mohammedans who are coming to kill you. What, how in the world can you justify this anymore? A federal tax strike would go a long way. So my four point plan is media strike, cancel your cable and satellite, B, tax strike, C, Eventually, it will come to the fact that we should be doing general strikes, which means a total work stoppage. We don't—you don't go to point C until you've done the first two, because point C, a general strike, actually harms the businesses of your neighbors. But as we saw with solidarity in Poland. General, general strikes do have a place and they do eventually need to be utilized. And then once you've uh, done points A, B, and C, if those don't work, that's when we go to armed counter-revolution. And remember, we are not revolutionaries. Revolution means turning away from God that is what the Obama regime is that's what Marxism is it's a rejection and a turning away from God we want to turn back to God we want to be a godly moral society with the rule of law that means that we are counter-revolutionaries. So never call yourself a revolutionary. You're always
5: a counter-revolutionary, wanting to turn back towards God. And Barnhart, people can find you at barnhart.biz. And once again, thank you so much for joining us today.
6: Thank you, Elijah. I appreciate the time.
0: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
3: In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group metals, nickel, and copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some
0: things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, High-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at BalmoralResources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR.